We have reached our last episode of our fantasy football sleepers. Guys, we have done player rankings. We have preview divisions. We've done NFL honors predictions. But we have reached the end of this summer. As opening day gets a lot closer, I'm Adam Wright with CJ Medeiros. We're going to get to our fantasy sleepers in a minute with uh, running backs, but we're going to touch on some breaking news with Deshaun Watson and joining us to help out with fantasy football and this Deshaun Watson news, Brett Shavs. Brett, you are the play-by-play voice of the Brockton Rocks, president of Dean News Network. Welcome to the show. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure um, being invited onto the show. Uh, I think it's actually my second time on now. Um, but, yeah, I'm excited That's to right. get to work. I've got a, I've got a decent knowledge of um, baseball, uh, a lot of experience in hockey um, and football. Um, so I'm ready to get talking some fantasy and let's rock and roll. Awesome. We're going to jump right into it. And so earlier today, and this is a pre-recorded episode. You guys are going to be hearing this on uh, on Friday. So anything, any other details that come out, don't bite our heads off. Just time constraints. We'll, we'll hit on whatever we need to hit on, on our social media page. Um, but Deshaun Watson, his, his suspension was increased from six games to 11 games and a $5 million fine. So Brett, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts on this, on this new ruling? Well, we saw from the incoming that Deshaun Watson um, was going to be cooperative with whatever the NFL and NFLPA um, decided to put on him. Um, obviously, the original six-game suspension was ruled by a federal judge, so it's not really considered an NFL-deemed suspension. So you knew that Roger Goodell in the front office was going to try and either work around it or see if they can find a compromise to said suspension. So now you have the NFL and NFLPA coming together to figure out a solution, and this is what they've got. And considering other suspensions in the past that have happened to um, – Similar deals, it seems like this is the most appropriate that the NFL has found. Uh, they also stated a second the second the original suspension was made that they wanted to create some sort of fine on Watson. So they find the uh, they find him five million dollars and they said it's all going to charity. Um, so we'll see where this suspension goes, but with the statement that the Browns made with Watson after, it seems like they're gonna be fully cooperative and no appeal on the suspension. Yeah, it looks like both sides have settled and everything is going to come to a head and it's all, you know, figured out. It's about time because it's been how long since all of this first came up. But uh, CJ, what are your thoughts? There are, <clears throat> there are many that say this is, a, you know, a good suspension, you know, something, whatever. But look, I, I can't get behind that. I really can't. You're telling me allegedly 26 women, you know, have accused him of sexual. Yeah, well, 24 confirmed. And then oh, 26. did 24 confirm? But 26 you know. allegedly. But, yeah, yeah. But that's but look. All right, so whatever. 24, 
and an 11 game suspension. Oh, I don't know why that doesn't sit well with me. I feel like it's a little low and the NFL is just so random with their punishments. Oh, you smoke weed. Oh, that, that's a year. You know, you uh, inappropriately touch uh, like what? 24 women. Yeah. That's just 11 games. I just, the NFL is just so inconsistent in their punishments. And a lot of people were saying, oh, Deshaun. I actually know uh, quite a few people who literally thought that Deshaun Watson, you know, shouldn't get a, shouldn't get like the book thrown at him because, oh, nothing's proven. It's like, well, then if you're going to use that logic, then you also think OJ's innocent. It's just, this is appalling. And it truly is. And like I, and I've stated in previous episodes, I've also been disgusted with Browns fans who cheer him on, you know, and just say, oh, yeah, there's totally nothing wrong here. And I mean, at least the Jags fans in that preseason game knew it was up chanting something at him. If you know, you know, it's something I can't repeat on this show. But it's just, I, I would have liked to see a year and five million for a fine with the guy who's literally going to get 230 million guaranteed. I, I don't know. I never thought the fine system was uh, right to begin with, but I mean, I don't know. What's done is done. There's nothing we can really do about it. Yeah. Listen. So the way the way I've seen it with this thing is, if the league, so the league is a private organization. They can do whatever they want. But so, like, if they feel that something happened, then it should it sh- there should not be a, any amount of games that really make up for for what he did if they believe this happened so like this idea that we're we're going to extend from six games to 11 games just feels like they're the league is just trying to make themselves look better um in the public eye but if you feel that you did that they did this have them kicked out of the league completely just don't don't like don't go like with this half half half-ass like yeah like this was a little low, so we're going to make it a little less than a season. But you know, Calvin Ridley's out of the out of you know out of the league for a year for you know you know for for gambling. Why is why is he getting that little? Kareem Hunt's still in the league, and there's actual footage of him assaulting a woman. And like he like he should be that should have been like out of the league right there. But it, it was a nine-game suspension. It was well, he was a s- suspended indefinitely, and then it was a nine-game suspension. That should be out right there. And he kind of like the way Kareem Hunt was about it. He apologized, and he was kind of just waiting for his for his turn to get back in the league. He was just, it was kind of just a, uh, it was, you know, just a uh, uh, forgetting the word, but like, it, well, it was it was a formality kind of. So. Like it's either it's either you believe that this happened and he should be out of the league, or you don't believe this happened and he gets no games. Like you can't just go like somewhere in the middle, you know. Like it feels like it's something where the league just wants to make themselves look better. And I just like like commit to one side, you know, something like that. The the one thing I've noticed with the league is that, like CJ mentioned, they're very inconsistent i guess i guess is the right word to say for all of the different punishments they've made if you look back in the past ray rice actual confirmed footage of him assaulting a woman very similar to cream hunt out of the league and definitely never returned to, to play again and then you have a case like ben roethlisberger about three years he's in the league allegedly 
came up. He said he assaulted a woman, and he was only suspended six games. Very similar to Watson, only just on a much smaller scale. I can understand very, 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 very partially where they're coming from, looking and sort of comparing this case to Roethlisberger and extending the amount of games. But if you firmly believe that he did all of what is alleged, I don't see why Deshaun Watson should play another staff in the NFL. There's no excuse for actions like he did. If, if you take what he did and transfer it over to either Major League Baseball or to the National Hockey League, he's gone and never playing again. Fernando Tatis Jr. was just suspended 80 games for supposedly using a PED to help him heal from an injury. 80 games. Trevor Bauer assaulted a woman and got almost a two-year suspension. One woman. There's 24 confirmed in this case with Watson. I don't under the 11 game suspension doesn't make sense to me either. It's a big, it's a hefty poll, but it still doesn't seem enough for the uh, the amount of severity that is involved in this case. Yeah, that's certain. Like it's either it's either you suspend, you take him out of the league, or you don't suspend him at all. Like it's they're, they're just trying to get in somewhere in the middle just to just to satisfy everybody and to look make themselves look better, really. I mean, even if they suspend him for a year and let him come back, he's still coming back. He's still coming back. Why? If you believe he did something like this, get it, get his ass out of here. Roethlisberger, if you believe he did this, why six games? Get him out of here. There's no place in the league for that for stuff like that. And it just makes yourself look worse. And on top of that, as you said, Ray Rice is out of is out of the league, but Kareem Hunt is. Like, how does that make any sense whatsoever? Just that's that's kind of my basic two cents. So I th- I I would like, I think we're on the same page with mo- with most of this, I believe. But uh, anything else before we move on to our fantasy sleepers here? All right, guys. So there is our uh, basic takes, our initial takes on um, the breaking news of Deshaun Watson in his eleven game suspension. Next, we're going to get to our main course of today, which is getting into some fantasy sleepers, running backs, which happens to be Brett's uh, right up right up his alley here. So we're going to touch on that. That's next. Don't go anywhere. This is the Fumble Rooski podcast. Welcome back to the Fumble Rooski podcast. I'm Adam Wright, CJ Medeiros, special guest, Brett Shavs. We've moved on to, again, our last episode of our Fantasy Sleepers, last planned episode of anything. Um, before we go on to the regular season and some preseason coverage as well, but let's jump right into it. Brett, why don't you kick us off? Give, you, give me your first uh, sleeper for this year. Yeah, there, there are definitely a lot of 
sleeper players. And the thing you have to keep in mind with running backs is the younger the running back is, the more poised they are to have either a sleeper, quote-unquote, or a breakout season. Because their prime is usually about three to five years, and you're looking in that window for them to produce quality numbers. So if we're looking at the list from this year, the number one guy that I have on my list is Alec, uh, Damian Pierce, I should say, excuse me, from the Houston Texans. The Texans going into this year didn't really have an RB1. They were kind of just using a smorgasbord last year of different running backs and seeing what stuck. They had David Johnson, who they acquired in the Cardinals trade with DeAndre Hopkins. They had Rex Burkhead. They had all sorts of different guys coming in to see if they could fill the void. But it wasn't really a standout that came out to show. Um, So they went to the draft this year, and they took Damian Pierce um, as a rookie running back. And from what I've been reading going into this year, this kid looks fantastic. If you watch his preseason footage uh, from game one in Houston, he looked great. Bullish running back who's able to work it up the middle and sort of find his own groove, even with the slow amount of holes that the offensive line's given him. And based on the evidence that we're seeing now, you can sort of make that conclusion that the fantasy numbers are going to be productive. I'm not saying he's going to be an RB1 type, but I am saying he's going to be certainly a flex to watch out for, maybe in running back two option as the season progresses. I'd look for him maybe about 15 to 17 points per game, depending on how many touches the Texans are feeling comfortable giving him. Um, but I certainly think he's going to be one of these guys that you have to watch in your radar. Yeah, it is easy to overlook anybody in that Tex- on that Texans team outside of Brandon Cooks and maybe a few select others, especially with that offensive line. So uh, any anybody in that backfield who emerges will really uh, – they can really do some damage and fly under the radar. But, uh, CJ, give me your first one. Well, Adam, uh, sticking with the theme of rookie running back sleepers, I'm thinking about Rashad White from the Buccaneers. Now – as far as I'm concerned, he's already their RB2. And we all know about Leonard Fournette and his, uh, you know, alleged weight gain during the offseason. So why not look for a younger, healthier option in Rashad White? Now, I uh, I watched him in college at Arizona State. He was insane. Average of 5.5 yards of carry and, like, 16 total touchdowns. And the Bucks are such, like, a like a weapon-friendly offense, if that makes sense. They're a high-powered offense. You know, you got Tom Brady, good O-line, and, and you know, you have uh, you got Evans, and you have Godwin, who are definitely going to be getting the bulk of attention. And if Fournette isn't up to snuff, why not Rashad White? And I'm not saying he's going to be like, oh, the next Jonathan Taylor or anything like that. What I am saying is just take a flyer on him in the later rounds. If if Fournette's not playing, make no mistake, White will get touches, and he might get them sooner than you think. All right. I like both of these picks. I really do. Uh, going uh, going on the, run, the rookie running back side, and I think I will touch on that. But first, I want to get – my first one is going to be a guy who isn't, isn't necessarily a deep sleeper, but a guy who people look at as kind of like he'll be on fantasy rosters, but like people won't think to start him yet. But Tony Pollard is a guy who's been behind Ezekiel Elliott for the, his, the entirety of his career. And Ezekiel Elliott continues to decline by the year. His, you know, his, his he's not taking care of his body quite as well as he could. And he's getting older. And the way running backs age, CJ, 
We talked about this yes, last episode. Yes, we spoke about this at running, back, running backs, unfortunately, age like milk. And Tony Pollard is a guy who's up and coming. And, you know, he's young. He's much younger than Ezekiel Elliott. And he's become, he was this past season in a hundred less, in a hundred less touches, he was more effective and he was, he's able to catch the ball. This guy's dynamic and is, and as Elliot continues to, to decline, Pollard is going to get, get more and more t- chances. And this is going to help everybody from a fantasy football perspective who has him. I, th- I see this guy as an RB two for now, but I think he could get up to RB one status and really be uh, put the um, put the fantasy football world on notice. I could not agree anymore, to be honest with you. Um, before I get to my next guy, um, I actually had a conversation about Pollard earlier uh, with another group of buddies of mine. Um, you look at Ezekiel Elliott's production in the last three years, and I go back to my point earlier about you know the prime window. He sort of hit out of it now. Typically, when running backs get paid big contracts, they sort of – expectations fall a little lower. They sort of don't really take care of themselves anymore. Injuries add up and you wind up in a situation like this where he went from being an RB one solo in the backfield workhorse to now almost a committee type where he's splitting touches with Tony Pollard. I think by the end of the season, Adam's absolutely right. We could see Tony Pollard producing running back one type numbers because he provides the, the two way ability that Mike McCarthy's looking for in that offense with Dak Prescott. So um, I'd very much like that pick. And then sort of my second pick may not be as big of a scale, but moving into this season, I think he could be effective uh, as Travis Homer uh, from the Seattle Seahawks. Definitely somebody that has not gotten a lot of attention um, as a lot of other lower end running backs have, but the, News and the hoopla that's coming out of Seahawks training camp is all upside for Travis Homer. If you watch the preseason game, first one against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Travis Homer had over 100 total scrimmage yards as both a receiving back and a three-down back when the second and third team came in uh, with Drew Locke. Um, Locke loved this kid. He was throwing splits, screens just outside of the pocket. He's able to do five, ten-yard slants. You talk about a dynamic running back. Travis Homer's the first one. And I don't think there was a single play in that game where Homer ended up with negative yards. He always produced three yards or more on every play, which is what you want in a running back. So if you see potentially Rashad Penny or Kenneth Walker go down, who we've already known to have injury problems in the preseason and offseason, Travis Homer might be your guy to look for in fantasy as someone to fill a void in a flex spot. All right. I, yeah, that, I mean, he's definitely going to be overlooked looking going into the season because it's not only, it's not just Rashad Penny who's getting the buzz over there in, uh, in training camp for the Seahawks. It's also Kenneth Walker who's starting to gain steam. He's starting to draw a lot of eyes. So, I mean, running backs, I don't know what it is about Seattle. Well, we could know from, uh, from their offensive line, they tend to drop like flies. So if both of them go down, Travis Homer comes in, then he gets his opportunities. But uh, CJ, give me your second guy. So a lot of people think about him, or maybe not. But when I look, I mean, you got to say, what about Travis Etienne? 
from the Jacksonville Jaguars. First round pick last year. Didn't play a snap at all due to what I believe was a list Frank injury. And a lot of people are wary about him because of his injury. But keep in mind, he's probably going to start out as Jacksonville's RB1 because for those who don't remember, uh, their original starting running back, James Robinson, is recovering from a torn Achilles, which we all know, especially for skilled positions, is basically a death sentence for your career. And when you think about what ETN did in college, his receiving ability, his footwork, his speed, this guy can literally do it all. And not to mention, he already has a great rapport with the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. And he fits perfectly. And they're going to have a real, actual, competent coach in Doug Peterson. And just, it's like the perfect storm of like good scenarios for Travis Etienne to uh, help boost your fantasy team. All right. Yeah. I was going to take Travis Etienne, <laughs> but I'm, I'm honestly so high on him that I'm talking myself out of even thinking that he's a sleeper almost because like he, he is getting a lot of buzz. So, but I can see why he is why anybody else thinks he's a sleeper. In fact, I probably, I, I do, but kind of borderline at this point. Cause I'm I, like I said, I'm, I'm just so high on him. Um, but my guy, my number two, is Ramondre Stevenson. So out of that Patriots backfield, it's all, all eyes on Damian Harris and all Patriots fans understand when they, from seeing last season, Ramondre Stevenson is just about as almost as, I mean, I think, I believe looking at their, looking at their efficiency, they're about their yards per attempt this past season. Yeah. So it was, it was identical. 4.6, same thing. He did have some injury issues, but he's proven to be just as effective as Damian Harris. He can score, he can catch, he can rush. He's big, so he has so he can truck guys. He has all the tools to be able to really break out. And God forbid Damian Harris gets hurt and he becomes the RB1 in that backfield. And on top of that, even even if Damian Harris doesn't miss that much time, Ramondre Stevenson was still he still managed to get a lot of a lot of time. So if they were to split carries, we could we could really see uh, Stevenson really put up some good production. So he's a guy who I really like. He's not. I w- I would say he's maybe not an RB one this year, at least not this year. But I could see him as a RB two or a flex to be that kind of guy who could be in and out of your lineup and can put up some good uh, some good numbers. Yeah, I like that pick as well. Um, I do end up thinking Stevenson's going to get more of the like the three-down carries, and you're going to see Damian Harris more of like a pass-back feature for Mac Jones. Um, but again, you never know what the Patriots and what they're going to do. Um, but moving into my last guy, a um, bit of an ex- obscure one, and I'm going to take a, a chance on him. I don't know how it's going to pan out, um, but I do like the idea of Ronald Jones uh, in Kansas City this year. Going over from Tampa Bay to the Chiefs, um, he is working as the running back two option behind Clyde Edwards Hilaire, but we do know from the last two seasons that Edwards Hilaire is injury prone and he has not spent a lot of time on the field for Kansas City, leaving the top two options as Ronald Jones and Jarek McKinnon. Between the two and the flashes that I've seen from Jones with a great offensive line that the Buccaneers have had in the past, I can say firmly that I have enough faith in him to be potentially 
a really good star in the second half of the season for the Chiefs. Um, Ronald Jones is one of those guys that's bullish, um, loves to run it up the middle, and he's able to produce quality yards and positive ones in that fact. I don't know how it's going to be in the first half. It all depends, again, on how healthy Edwards Hilaire can be. But if he does, in fact, go down, I think Ronald Jones is going to hold down that backfield and end up being potentially a running back two option um, later into the season, probably talking the last five, six weeks. Man, I remember back when Clyde Edwards Elair was drafted and he had so much hype around him, especially in that offense. He was kind of almost like alone in that backfield. Um, at least he was, he was favored to get a lot of targets. He had a lot of hype. I drafted him in the first round, by the way. Big mistake. He he did not actually no 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 it was sec, it was second round I took him first round was Dalvin Cook, I mean he was he's okay but uh, I also remember Ronald Jones during that 2020 season where he really lit it up and Leonard Fournette did take over down the stretch but if he gets the opportunities again behind that offensive line there's no reason why he can't replicate that sort of success so I I do like that pick but uh. CJ, what is your third running back sleeper? So my third sleeper is Gus Edwards from the Baltimore Ravens. Now, when you think of the Ravens' backfield, you probably think of injuries or off-the-field issues in some cases. But Gus Edwards, or as they call him Gus the Bus, at least our good buddy Justin Tucker does, is insane. He's like a big bruising back, very touchdown dependent, but he does get yards. Last time he was healthy, he did get 144 carries for 723 yards and six touchdowns. He's going to be coming back from injury and he's likely going to be the running back too, but it's a, but a lot of it's up in the air, hence why he's a sleeper, because J.K. Dobbins, who's projected to be the RB1 for the Ravens last year, also went down with an injury. So I don't know how they're going to play, you know, these guys. I mean, maybe they played a little safer than they usually would. But Edwards is still maybe recovering from that knee injury. I don't know if he's going to be ready for week one. But if he is, he would definitely be an impact this season. I like that pick. It's a good pick. Um, looking at – I know you guys – went through uh, run, rookie running backs to start. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to take a piece of that. And I'm going to go with a guy named James Cook. You might know Dalvin Cook, his brother, who has made a made quite the name for himself in his own right in a couple different ways with injuries and his effectiveness. I've drafted Dalvin Cook every single season he's been in the league. I love that guy. But his brother, James Cook, has been impressing during training camp and not only impressing on the ground, but he's playing a significant role in the receiving game. And I love running backs who can who can make an impact in the receiving game as well because that, mean, that means more fantasy points. You get the catches and the receiving yards. You play a bigger role, and you almost – you practice, that's when you become a three-down back and – I know a lot of people are going to be hesitant with that backfield being very crowded with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, but I mean this guy is the most dynamic the most dynamic out of all of them. They're all solid in their own rights from a real life perspective, but if this kid can really take on a big role, then the the coaching staff of the Bills is going to have no choice but to give him 
uh, but to give him the most carries. He may not be a bell cow with because it's a crowded backfield, but it, this is a guy who really could make an impact. And w- given where he's being drafted, he's somebody who you guys should t- be all be taking a flyer on. I like James Cook going into this year and even beyond. James Cook's actually my top running back in Buffalo right now. Um, I don't personally think he has anything to worry about between Singletary and Moss. Um, between the last two seasons, Zach Moss has proven um, that he cannot stay healthy on the field. Um, and even as a red zone threat, he has not been producing the numbers that um, Sean McDermott and the Bills offensive staff wanted. And then when it comes to Devin Singletary, um, he doesn't really give the three down back type of persona um, or repetitions. He will come in and he's sort of used as a pass back, but he's not as effective up the middle when the offensive line, as good as it is, tries to give him those gaps to work with. You look at a guy like James Cook coming right out of Georgia, um, sort of one of those guys that, like you mentioned, Adam, is a dynamic player. He's able to be a pass back, but he's also effective up the middle, and he's able to work through his own sort of rut. So you put everything together in the fact that he's a lot younger than both Moss and Singletary. I think he's potentially set up in a year or two to be the bell cow. All he's going to do is prove in the first six or seven games that he's able to stay healthy and stay efficient. Yeah, that's kind of the way I see it. He, uh, They have some guys in that backfield who are going to take up some touches. But, I mean, we all know who's the most you know effective guy in there. And I'm, I'm sure the coaching staff does too. And they're going to, they're going to react accordingly. They're still going to bite into his workload, but yeah, he'll still, he'll still be a uh, productive play uh, player. Do we have any honorable mentions before we move on to our last segment? I don't think Nothing. so. All right, guys. Well, uh, so Brett is a Broncos fan. And the Broncos, as you guys may know, have gone through some big changes this offseason, namely at the quarterback position. And Brett is going to break all of that down and what it means this season for the Broncos. Next, don't go anywhere. This is the Fumble Rooski Podcast. You are listening to the Fumble Rooski podcast by Power 88 and Fans Only Sports Network. Adam Wright here with CJ Medeiros, special guest Brett Shavs. And we've reached our guest segment where Brett is going to talk about his Broncos, who have a new, really a new look uh, on their roster with the at the quarterback position and many other spots. So, Brett, what do you got? Yeah, so... Obviously, there's been a lot of hype this season with the Denver Broncos. Um, Ever since uh, the beginning of the spring when they acquired their new quarterback, Russell Wilson, along with Nathaniel Hackett, their new head coach, formerly the offensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers, um, 
if you look at this team as a whole, not much has changed. The only thing that's changed drastically is the quarterback spot. And obviously we know that quarterback spot is the thing that changes the entire dynamic of this team because it's a leader. It's who sets the tempo for the offense. And he's ultimately who's going to put you in position to win football games. The Broncos sort of set up Drew Locke in a situation where he could not be productive in his first three years with the team. So they shipped him off to Seattle with Noah Fant. And now they're left with Russell Wilson leading the squad um, with newly crowned running back Javante Williams, Albert Okwebunam, or Albert O at tight end. And then you have Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, and KJ Hamler at receiver with the injury of Tim Patrick. Um, if you ask my opinion, the first look at this offense, so much better than what we saw last year. We upgraded the offensive line with Billy Turner at right tackle. They've also given a lot more confidence to their receivers with Russell Wilson. And then you've also given Javante Williams that confidence to be the lead running back in this offense. Melvin Gordon already said it yesterday that he expects Javante Williams to be the lead back in this offense and to get the majority of snaps. He's going to support him in that process. So as a whole, I think this offense is going to be a lot more effective in the long run and maybe put themselves in a position to win the AFC West. But they've got to go through the Chargers, Raiders, and Chiefs twice a year plus a lot of other difficult opponents. Um, the only things I would say on the defensive side, uh, you acquired uh, nose tackle DJ Jones, who might be the, the most underrated nose tackle in the league if you look at his numbers from the last few years in San Francisco. Um, and then you've also got Pastor Tan, another year stronger, along with Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson, who are coming off of injuries. So as a whole, I think this team is set up for success. Um, and you could see them very well winning the division, but it all depends on how their opponents play as well. All right, there you have it. Brett's outlook on the 2021, excuse me, 2022 season for the Denver Broncos. This is really a team that, I mean, you you look at, you've looked at it over the past couple of years. They haven't made the playoffs since Peyton Manning. And they've always, they've always kind of had talent but they've been a quarterback away since Peyton Manning left. You had the Trevor Simeons of the world. You had the Teddy Bridgewaters, Drew Locks, who you love. But they've never quite have been able to perform up to snuff. Now they bring in Russell Wilson, and that changes everything on that team. Unfortunately, it comes at a time where the division, the rest of the division just stacks up. So we'll see where they fit in. They have, they have a chance to contend with everywhere. I mean, as you described, they have talent just about everywhere on the field. But, uh, yeah. CJ, what, what do you think? Well, Adam, as you mentioned, uh, Denver, for the past few seasons, has always been that team where they were one quarterback away. They looked to free agency, and that didn't work. They looked to the draft. Paxton Lynch, anyone? And then, of course, you trade for Russell Wilson – who's a proven veteran and a Super Bowl winner. So, I mean, and look, they always say let Russ cook, and he's got the ingredients. you got Javante Williams, Portland Sutton, Albert O, Jerry Judy, just to name a few, and along with the defense that could very well be top 10. And if they were not in the AFC West, I would say you could they could automatically punch their ticket to the playoffs. But you have Patrick Mahomes' Chiefs, you have the retooled and very dangerous LA Chargers, and the retooled Vegas Raiders. But I do 
a little bit like the Broncos in this division because of Russell Wilson, a seasoned veteran with a new offensive-friendly head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, fresh from Green Bay, you know, where he worked with the future Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers. And all it's all adding up for the Broncos, but that division would scare me. But then again, when you got a guy like Russell Wilson and that defense with a new coaching staff, I definitely feel that uh, the ball's kind of in Denver's court, and it's really a, well, truthfully, I don't care about their division, but their fate is basically up to them. They control their destiny. Yeah, I mean, I would would honestly agree with that. Um, At this point, in their sort of rebuilding phase, I don't even—I don't even think you can, can re- consider it a rebuilding phase. Um, they've always been mediocre the last five, six years, um, but at this point in their stage, it's pretty much all up to them whether or not they can use the talent they've drafted with Russell Wilson and carry it into the playoffs and maybe even a Super Bowl. Um, I think it's going to take a few years to reach that milestone point, um, but they're certainly setting themselves up to do it. And I think the biggest thing as well with Russ that has changed is the coaching staff. The last, I don't know, five seasons, you've had uh, Vance Joseph and Vic Fangio, um, both defensive-minded head coaches who have sort of given the offensive keys to the coordinator. And to be quite frank, all of these coordinators have sucked. Um, Pat Shermer, Rick Scangarello, just to name a few. They have not set up the offense to be successful. So now you have... Nathaniel Hackett, along with Justin Outen, who are running the offense. Um, I really like the way this is looking, um, sort of speak. And I think this is going to be a much different Denver Broncos team. And they're going to be focused on putting points on the board instead of being reactive, trying to dodge all these points that your Chiefs of the world, your Raiders of the world are putting up. So looking at how they're all, all these teams sort of stack up, Brett, like, what are your expectations for this season for the Broncos? Like, how do you how do you see they do? How deep do they go into the postseason if they make it there? Like, how do you see everything stacking up for them? For me personally, I think you're realistically going to see the Broncos get 10 or 11 wins um, on the season. I think that's a good benchmark to see them at. I certainly think they can get more. I certainly think they can get less. You have to remember, this is a first-year coaching staff that hasn't really gotten a lot of big-time experience in the NFL. You've got Ajiro Rivero leading the defense, who is only a uh, cornerbacks coach um, with the Rams. And then you've got Justin Outen coming from Green Bay with Hackett, who is only their tight ends coach, who's now the offensive coordinator. So a lot of inexperience in the coaching staff that has to rely on the talent to produce. Um, But I think it's realistic that they have a winning record and eventually punch themselves into at least a wild-card spot in the playoffs. So – they get this amount of wins. It's good for what place in the AFC West along with all of these, you know, stacked rosters. What do you, what do you, think, where do you think they finish? It's, it's hard to tell because you don't know how competitive this division's really going to be. There can, there's going to be teams that we talk about have so much hype and then just flop. Like you look at the Raiders, they have so much talent on that roster but then you look at the coaching staff with Josh McDaniels and you're like, all right, McDaniels has never really proven as a successful head coach. On the Broncos, to put it as a fact, he sucked as the Broncos head coach. 
you don't know what's going to happen. They could either be really good and make the playoffs, or they could suck and finish last in the division. I think it's realistic to put the Broncos at second in the division behind Kansas City or L.A., um, but again, they realistically could also blow everybody out of the water and take first place from Kansas City. Yeah, and I really think it depends. Like, and as we've been as we've been talking uh, discussing, they this is a team that really has talent all over the field, but it's kind of all coming together now. Like, they're everything is just being thrown together. The new coaching staff, all the all the players new quarterback to run to run the show. So it really depends for me how they gel. If they can gel like right away, they're as good, if not better than everybody in this division. But if they, if it takes them a while, then they may just squeak into the playoffs. I think this is a, a team that should make the playoffs. Uh, I could be wrong, but I mean, it really, like I said, it depends on how this team really fluxes early on to the season because you know if, if it takes them a while then they, they're going to have a tough time in this division did we lose brett no it looks like he's <clears throat> there kind of i mean it looks like the light went out but oh oh boy he'll well, he'll probably be back i think yeah he'll he'll be back in a second but why don't we let's continue with uh what what do you have any anything else to add? Let's let's keep going until yeah. Brett comes back. We can't just <laughs> we can't just end the show and say like, oh, sorry, Brett. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I hear you. I hear you. That that would be pretty awful. But when I think of Denver, I just I, I really like the addition of Nathaniel Hackett as a head coach. I really, really do. And like I said, you know, he worked with Aaron Rodgers and he know and he would know how to mold Russell Wilson as well. And kind of like what you guys said. It, the only issue that I could possibly see is, is them uh, taking a while to gel together. You know what I mean? But I don't expect that to be too, too much of an issue. I mean, especially because I'm hearing that Russell Wilson already has great chemistry with his guys. And that, as every football fan knows, goes a long way. And I really don't you know, expect Denver to have too many problems. The only thing that could like real another thing that could really derail them is like, the division but like i said at this point for if you're denver you have a stacked roster as well as everyone else in your division you have just as much talent and you control your own destiny like plain and simple denver the future's in your hands and you finally have your guy i'm excited to see what you can do with it apologies apologies i don't know what just happened i got a phone call and all of a sudden things went cattywampus so uh <laughs> i'm back i'm back i love that word no worries. Yeah, we were uh, we weren't sure where you went. We thought we saw like a light go out. At mm. least that's what we that's what we saw. And we're like, did he lose? The, did he lose power? Then it was like no devout, like uh, poor connection. And then you just left entirely. And we we're like, okay, must be must be connection issues. We kept talking though. Uh, any any other things to to uh, to add though, Brett? Uh, honestly, as a whole, I just think it's going to be a competitive division. I think you can talk all day about the talent and the hype behind each of these four AFC West teams, including the Broncos. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to how these teams play against each other in divisional play. Um, any team can fall at any given moment, but these eight games that each AFC West team has against each other is going to strongly determine how the playoff picture shapes out. 
Because you could realistically see a picture where every single AFC West team makes the playoffs. You have one division winner, and then the rest of the three teams take those three wild card spots, which is blasphemous to think about. But it, again, it's realistic to to see in the playoffs, considering how good these teams are. Um, when it comes to the Broncos, I think they do make the playoffs, but it's going to depend on how Russ plays with the offense and how this coaching staff pans out. All right, there you go. Uh, well, I don't want to keep you too long, but I have one last question, and you can just answer quickly. Just give me like one word answer. Who finished? So this is a really tough division. All of these teams have really armored up this off season. Who finishes last in the division? Who finishes last in the AFC West? Yeah, Chargers. Chargers. Wow, I think it's going to come down to coaching staff, and I think Brandon Staley is going to flop. He did it last year. I think he's going to do it again. So I think the Chargers are going to finish last in the AFC West. There you go. So Chargers finish last, and Broncos finish. You said you said. I'm sorry. You said second. Second. There you go. And I believe so that that leaves that leaves the Chiefs at first. Chiefs at first. The, Raiders at third. Raiders at third. Okay. There you go. All right. Well, Brett. Thank you so much for joining the show. Let me know if you ever want to come back on, talk some Broncos, talk some fantasy. Uh, we're always out here to, you know, shoot it with each other. So, all right, guys. Well, that'll do it for us tonight. Thank you for listening to us. Be sure to tune into us live Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30 on Twitter and Facebook through Fans Only Sports Network. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We also have all our episodes available on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Also, be sure to follow our Instagram at FumbleRooski underscore podcast to keep up with our podcast and the latest coverage on the NFL. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Over and out.